What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. The people who say America is a Christian nation had some big victories at the Supreme Court this term. On school prayer, the Supreme Court said it was just fine for a high school football coach to pray at the 50-yard line after the game. And the court also ruled that taxpayers must fund religious schools if they are funding non-sectarian private schools. For comment, we turn to Sarah Posner. She's the author of Unholy, How White Christian Nationalists Powered the Trump Presidency and the Devastating Legacy They Left Behind. It's just been published in paperback with a new afterword about evangelicals and the January 6th insurrection. She's a reporter with Type Investigations. Her reporting and analysis on the religious right in Republican politics have appeared in The New York Times, The Washington Post, Rolling Stone, and The Nation. Sarah Posner, welcome back. Thanks for having me again. Well, first, let's talk about these two decisions subverting the separation of church and state. The school prayer ruling, it was about a public school district in Washington state. Tell us about Coach Joe Kennedy and his praying after the games and what's behind Coach Kennedy's lawsuit. Well, for several decades now, the religious right has sought to undermine church-state separation, particularly in public schools. And one of the ways in which they've sought to chip away at it is to make it increasingly easier for school officials or people associated with the school in some way to pray, pray at students, pray with students, pray in a way that seems like the, the school itself or the school district itself is endorsing this sectarian prayer. So the Coach Kennedy case was just the latest in a string of cases about school prayer. And the court very blatantly disregarded documentary evidence in the form of photos and video that Coach Kennedy was not engaging in private prayer as the majority opinion stated. He was, in fact, praying with the students alongside him. And the issue was, 
did the students feel free to leave? What the dissent said was, you know, no student is going to feel free to leave. Anybody who's been in school or played school sports knows that the students are going to feel free to leave if the coach says, let's pray on the 50-yard line. So it's really a a very troubling example of the direction in which the court is moving on these kinds of church-state separation cases. There was an interesting letter to the New York Times from a rabbi in South Carolina who said, the number one issue that I, as a rabbi, have been contacted about by students is about sports, Jewish students who get benched because they don't join in the Christian team prayer before or after a game, Jewish students who don't get playing time because they won't go to the Christian pizza lunch offered at school. Jewish students who lost their starting spot on the team because they missed a game or even a practice for the high holy days. Things like this are going on at a lot of schools, apparently. Absolutely. And I've heard from people, too, where, you know, their kid or reflecting back on their childhood, they were one of the only Jewish students, or if you can can imagine also, you know, other religions, Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus. And I think part of the thing that's happening here is the religious right has long sought to reverse these early 1960s decisions by the Warren court, holding that school prayer and Bible reading are unconstitutional because it's an imposition of a sectarian religious view on students in public schools. They've been long trying to reverse that by chipping away at it, but at the same time, culturally, they've already chipped away at it in places where evangelical Christians are in basically the majority in these communities all over the country. And a lot of these coaches and teachers have been told you know, by the religious right that they need to be evangelizing people. They need to be evangelizing students. As you can imagine, and I think it's not hard for anybody to imagine, particularly in the sports setting, the kind of coercion that goes on, even implicit coercion that goes on in those kinds of situations. No, I imagine praying at high school sports events is not the end game that the evangelicals are seeking. Where, Where would they like this to end up? It's not just football games. They would like there to be prayer in the classroom. So uh, you walk into homeroom at 8, 10 in the morning and your teacher has a prayer to start the day, perhaps before or after the Pledge of Allegiance, right? They would like that to be, they would really like that to be the norm. And I think that they haven't contemplated what they would do if the teacher were another religion and trying to impose that on the students, But I think that the Supreme Court is so stacked in the favor of Christian prayer that they're not really worried about it for the moment. And the other big decision was on state funding for religious schools. This case came from Maine, where the court ordered a school district to pay parents for their children's tuition at a private Christian academy. Uh, where the curriculum is biblically based with religion, quote, integrated through all content areas. I understand there are 37 state constitutions that ban the direct or indirect use of taxpayer money for religious schools, and all of that now seems to have been repealed. So this is a huge decision. Uh, Tell us about what's behind the parents in Maine who won this case. What's really important for your listeners to understand is that the heart of all of this is a longstanding attack on public education. 
And both of these cases are part of that longstanding attack on public education, although in different ways. What they want in Maine and all over the country is for private school voucher programs or tuition assistance programs to equally fund sectarian religious schools and secular private schools. The program in Maine did not allow the funding, that that kind of tuition assistance or vouchers to, to go to religious schools, only private secular schools. And um, the claim in the case was that was uh, violated religious freedom. And uh, it's not at all surprising that this Supreme Court ruled in favor of funding the religious schools because the, the balance between the Establishment Clause, the, the, the clause in the First Amendment that provides for the separation of church and state, and religious freedom, which is another freedom of religion, another clause in the First Amendment, the balance between those two clauses has been tipping way in favor of religious freedom based on the political advocacy of the religious right, but also their very successful legal campaign to tip the balance away from the separation of church and state such that that would be eliminated and elevating religious freedom. But it's really important to understand in their view, it's religious freedom for a certain group of Christians. The main case had a lot of particularities about it that makes this less than a mandate that all states must fund religious schools. In Maine, the problem is the state is so rural that more than half of its school districts had no public high school. So the state provides funding for parents who don't have a nearby public high school to send their kids to a private school. A lot of states don't do this. For instance, in California, there's no state funding for any private school. So this decision does not apply to California and states like it. And Chief Justice Roberts, always the moderate when it comes to extreme uh, right-wing uh, evangelicals, suggested that there were some other steps the state of Maine could take. They could open more public high schools. They could create boarding schools for the kids who live too far away that would be public schools. They could have remote learning for kids who live too far away from public high schools. And all of this would make it unnecessary for them to fund any private high schools. But the ruling is as long as they're funding some private high schools, they must fund religious high schools. Tell us a little bit about the curriculum in religious schools. Well, in conservative Christian private schools, the curriculum is based on what they would call a biblical or a Christian worldview. And if you've ever seen the curriculum for any of these schools, and you know, obviously there's some variation between them, but in the main, what the students would learn uh, is that you know America is a Christian nation, God ordained America as a Christian nation. You have a duty as a citizen, as a patriotic citizen to defend the Christian nation. So this Christian worldview would be incorporated into every aspect of the curriculum. So in biology, you would learn that evolution is just a theory and that, you know, creationism is the way the world came about. That Adam Um, and Eve saw the dinosaurs walking around. (laughs) Right. It's not just limited to, say, the history and government class that you would learn things from a Christian worldview. You would similarly learn biology. English, literature, all of those classes would be taught from a Christian worldview. 
these schools, many of these schools would produce students who would, you know, be expected to go on to, to colleges like Liberty University or Regent University or some other uh, Christian college or university. Um, and that is happening at taxpayer expense, right, in Maine at least, and probably this will happen in other places too. Whereas prior to these cases, and this case in particular at the Supreme Court, um, it was verboten for the state to fund that kind of education because that would be like saying, your it's okay to spend your taxpayer dollars in the pursuit of this sectarian religious view. All of that is changing under this new series of cases that have been, you know, decades in the making, um, where the religious liberty of conservative Christians is elevated over the separation of church and state. Of course, there are some Jewish schools that are very happy with this decision. There's Muslim schools as well. And Muslim schools as well. As well. I looked this up. Thank, thank you, Wikipedia. There are 235 Islamic schools in the United States. There are something like 860 Jewish day schools. But of course, there are thousands and thousands of Protestant evangelical academies, and there are more than 6,500 Catholic schools. I guess all of these could require taxpayer funding under the main ruling if this became a general policy. And I can't imagine the states could afford private education for all the religious families in America. Well, I'm not sure that the, even the voucher programs cover the entire, you know, in every state cover the entirety of the tuition. Yeah, the, the, the main one is $11,000. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot. First of all, not every state funds, you know, provides these kinds of vouchers. But I would be sort of curious to see what happens when evangelical Christians find out that Islamic schools are being funded by their taxpayer dollars. Because I might imagine, you know, because I was a little surprised I got a press release from the Council on American Islamic Relations after this case came down, this main voucher case came down, praising it. They were very excited about it. But I'll be very curious to see if there's some kind of objection to the schools of other religions being funded by these kinds of programs. It's kind of hard to imagine that the Supreme Court would say that some religions could be funded and others couldn't. But of course, we thought we would never get to this point. Well, also, I think if this term taught us anything is that this Supreme Court is not guided by stare decisis or principle of any kind, that the case is just what they decide to do with it. It doesn't matter what the facts are, as in the Coach Kennedy case, and it doesn't matter what actual history is, such as in the Dobbs case, overturning Roe versus Wade. So what is the Christian nationalist endgame on church-state separation? If government was shaped by their vision of the religion clauses of the First Amendment, what would their government look like? They would want government to be run by people who have what they call a Christian worldview. So they would want the president and the representatives in the Senate and senators and people running agencies. This is not just at the federal level, but at the state and local level, that people with this Christian worldview would enter government and they would say, run the health department from a Christian worldview. So the health department could stop giving out condoms and its safe sex program, or they might give out ivermectin instead of 
COVID vaccines, which is uh, something fairly popular in white evangelical circles that, you know, vaccines are bad. Um, I mean, there are a lot of white evangelicals who've gotten the COVID vaccine, but it's pretty common also for them to be opposed to it. Again, public schools would definitely be a target. Prayer in public schools, teachers evangelizing to students. This is obviously like a worst case scenario, but it's the scenario that they envision. I don't see much that's going to stop this Supreme Court from potentially overturning the early 1960s school prayer decision. There are two decisions from the early 1960s invalidating mandatory school prayer and mandatory school Bible reading in public schools. Overturning those cases has been in the crosshairs of the religious right for decades. And now we know from this term that this Supreme Court is pretty undeterred in overturning recent precedent. I wouldn't be surprised to see them overturning those cases. And then it would definitely be a free-for-all in public schools. But I think what they would like to see ultimately is every facet of government, you know, the government that runs agencies and courts and that sort of thing, as well as things like public schools, reflect their view of the Christian nation. America is a Christian nation. It's our duty as a public school teacher or as a member of Congress to evangelize people and bring them to Christ. It would be like, it would be a very coercive, theocratic way of everybody else being forced to live. Sarah Posner, she's the author of the book, Unholy, How White Christian Nationalists Powered the Trump Presidency and the Devastating Legacy They Left Behind. It's just been published in paperback with a new afterword about evangelicals in the January 6th insurrection. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.